0: As we have uh, been tracking through the book of Matthew, Matthew's story about who Jesus was and who he remains to this day, and as we've tried to follow through with him and listen to him, one of the things that I've tried to focus on is the, the bigger picture, Um you can get in and read the stories and and they're all great and they're insightful and so forth but sometimes there's a meaning in the big picture and sometimes if you understand the big picture it helps you kind of make get the idea about what's going on in the little stories as well and so that's what i've been trying to focus on and as we have looked in matthew uh, I really have tried and want to want you to think about the, the what Jesus is showing us, what he's doing, what he's teaching us, what he is showing us through his actions. Because that's what Matthew's trying to get across. He's trying to show us that Jesus was consistent. And one of the reasons we believe in him, one of the reasons we follow him, is that he's consistent in good times and bad times. He is consistent to his core of who he is all the time. And that's one of our greatest challenges, isn't it? To 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 be who we are instead of being what somebody wants us to be in order to get along. So there's that we're gonna look at that side of the coin today as we, we try. Now what Jesus does is responds consistently But what he does is he begins to tell stories. Instead of trying to to teach more content and more deep ideas and so forth, he backs up and he starts telling stories in Matthew. He tells parables. Why does he use parables? Because you have no defense against the parable. That's why he uses it. You have to think about it. It's a picture. And if you think about it, and you think what Jesus is doing when he tries to use that, he will get through your screen, because he knows he's talking to people who refuse to see and refuse to hear. He's talking to people who have a a mindset that screens out anything that makes them uncomfortable. They know they're comfortable. That's the biggest barrier to all learning, isn't it? and i have told you i don't know how many times adults don't learn until their answers no longer work that's when we learn when we hit the wall when 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 things start hurting so jesus it, it does that and and he and we look briefly at some of those parables that he told in chapter 13 matthew clusters a bunch of them right there in that one chapter and he tells us a story about soils it's Usually in your Bible, it may say the parable of the sower or something like that. It's not about the sower. It's not about the seeds. It's about the soil. Okay? It's about hearts. It's about the reception. Because the same sower sows the same seed to everybody. God plays no favorites. He gives you the same message he gives everybody else. His name's Jesus. And he didn't come just speaking he came acting he came showing by who he is his actions who god is and so if you look at that that's what this parable of the soils is all about it's a generous sower who gives seed to all he doesn't go out like a farmer we would know would do and take the best part of the soil Get that all tilled up and just put all your seeds in one place because you already know these people are going to grow. That's not how God goes at it. He throws the seed to everybody. The message is open to everybody, and the impact it has depends on the heart. The second one he tells is the in that passage is the the parable of the wheat and the tares or the darnell. This is wheat on this side. And you can see the the grains. This is Darnell. It looks a lot alike, doesn't it? But you don't find out which one's which until it gets to this point of growth, and by that time it's too late to pull it up. God says, you guys don't need to worry about, I'll do the weeding. Your job is not to go weed the field. It's not to go pull up people, hurt people, destroy people, drive people away. I'll take care of the judgment at the end. You can leave it with me. You can trust me with it, right? You'll do it. It's not up to us. And then the third parable he tells, I want to come back to, is this is mustard in Israel in the spring. And he tells the parable about mustard because he wants you to see that he's talking about a seed that, that is, it just proliferates it's it, it it's not as because it's huge that's kind of how it's translated in most of your translations that's not it it's it goes everywhere and they're little bitty seeds and so you can pick them up and and they get transplanted by birds and you know animals and all of that'll get them in their fur and they, it, they just plant them all over everywhere but it's so mundane look at that I mean that would just be annoying wouldn't it Jerry how would you like to go in the backyard and have weeds up this high. No, it wouldn't happen in his yard, I guarantee you. But he'd be out there pulling them up, right? And so, as, as you think about what he's telling you is, one of the offenses of the gospel is it seems to be so ordinary. One of the things that they didn't like about Jesus was he didn't get his army, he didn't start organizing things, he didn't have this mission, he, he just kind of meandered around and loved on people. It's kind of how it comes across most of the time, right? But look what an impact he had. We're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Wow. I wish I could meander around and love on people that strong. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? And so, if you see that, I want you to understand that's what's going on. He's trying to show you something about the kingdom that is so mundane, but it's so powerful. And in that context, he issues this blessing, or this beatitude. He said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me in chapter 11. And then in chapter 13, as he talks about the parables, he talks about the rocky ground, and he ends, and it says, and they quickly fall away. Well, that's the word stumble. It's the same in both places. Stumble, stumble. Something's happening here. He's starting a theme. He's starting to tell you something. And it's going to come back over and over in this passage that we're going to look at. The other thing is, I want you to see how he sections off. In chapter 13, verse 53, he says the same thing for the third time in Matthew. After Jesus had finished saying or teaching or something oral, it shifts. It shifts that's at the end of every discourse there's five discourses he says this five times matthew does that's letting you know that he's come to the end of a discourse next topic okay now you know how we do outlines roman numeral one a little a one you know we have to get it logically organized how many of you love that in, co- in high school in college oh it was wonderful wasn't it yeah matt yeah he loves that he does that yeah you see but that's not the jewish way to do it they didn't teach that in jewish school in the first century this is the way they do it there they teach you the bookends and then they let you see what happens in between So Jesus finishes with the parables, and then in in chapter 16, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to do, so he shifts again. Okay? Something's happening. So something's happening between the end of 13 and the middle of 16. That all goes together somehow. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And here it is. It's on your paper on your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin. This is called a chiasm. Now, I'm not going to get technical. I, I, I just want you to hang in. This is how you would organize it if you went to rabbi school. Okay? Not, not Roman numerals. They didn't teach Roman numerals in rabbi school. Okay? They taught this because this is how the prophets used to speak. And the way the thing works is that the outside here measures up, then the B's measure up, the C's measure up, the D's measure up, and in the middle here is the most important idea that he wants you to wrestle with. That's how he puts it together. And so he is wanting you to understand something and these guys in the middle were offended. Stumble, same word. Scandalon. Scandal is our English word. And so these guys at home were offended, the governor was offended, the Pharisees were offended, they got offended again, and at the end you see, blessed are you, Simon, when he confesses who Jesus is. And blessed is the beatitude that says, this is the environment where you have the blessing of God. This is where you can experience and live in the presence of God. That's what blessed means. Jesus says, blessed are you who are those who do not stumble on account of me. Do you see the story? They start off with stumbling people. They have stumbling people in the middle. And at the end, they have a blessed person who's not stumbling anymore. That's the point of this section. Who is Jesus? If you find out who he is, you don't stumble anymore. You're blessed. You live in an environment of blessing. How many would like to have that? I mean, really experience that day to day. The blessing of God every day. That's what this passage is all about. So we're going to look at it briefly, hopefully, speedily. You say, yeah, we're going to get through all of that. Yeah, we are. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue and he gets a welcoming committee. It starts off and it says when Jesus started speaking, they were amazed. Yeah, wrong translation. Right shocked next to amazed. They were, did you hear what he said? That's what's going on here. That word can be translated either way. They could be amazed, or they can be overwhelmed. And the word is kind of overwhelmed. And overwhelmed here is what they are, and it's not a positive experience for them. Because the next thing they say is, isn't this the guy that we saw grow up? What in the world is he doing, running around speaking like he knows everything? We know who his mom is. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. He doesn't know anything. How did he get these powers? Who does he think he is? That's what's going on in this synagogue. In fact, Luke says they want to kill him. They take him outside and ready to throw him off the cliff. You see, they were offended when he came. They didn't hear what he had to say. They didn't have ears to hear and eyes to see. They were blind and deaf. Hmm. Well, if you go back on the other side of that chiasm on your paper... What happens on the other side? Well, the thing that lines up on the other side is a disciple who hears Jesus. Now he's been following him for almost two years now, right at two years. He hasn't, but but he's been following him around and he's been kind of getting it as he goes. But he finally figures it out. Maybe a little bit. He hasn't figured it all out yet. But he's he's there. Jesus takes his disciples. They leave from Bethsaida. To say it is the town where five of the Apostles grew up in they leave from there and before they leave they meet a guy that's blind in marks gospel and he is wanting to be healed and Jesus heals him except it took him two tries he was low on battery that day no that's not what's going on why did he heal him in two stages he heals him and he asks him can you see and he says I see men as if they are trees walking I can kind of make it out, but I haven't got it yet. Okay, let me give you another dose. Can you see now? Oh, yeah, I can see now. Guess what happens to Peter? They go up to Caesarea Philippi. This is the mountain, the fountain, the mountain at Caesarea Philippi, the cliff. This is what's known by the Greeks as the gates of Hades. If you go in there and you go down through that pool, you get to, that's one of the doors to death, where everybody goes to after death. And so uh, Philip builds a temple right there to Augustus. And inside of that temple, Jesus asks them, Who do men say that I am? Peter says, Well, people say you're this and that and Elijah and so forth. Who do you say that I am? Peter pops up, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, right on! You got it! One one try, you got it! And then he spoils it. (laughs) Why? Well, in the side of this, right here, what's on the wall? Well, this is on the wall. This has been found in Greece, but it was in every Augustinium. The Augustinium is the temple dedicated to Caesar Augustus. And in the Augustinium it says... The deeds of divine Augustus. You don't see the word Augustus over here. But it it tells the story of Augustus. And here's the story of Augustus. The goddess Providence has set in the most perfect order by giving us Augustus, sending him as a savior, get that word, that he might end war and arrange all things. And the birth of the god Augustus was the beginning of the gospel good tidings for the world that's what's on the wall in every Augustinium all over the Roman Empire and there's a bunch of them Jesus comes along inside of that temple and says Peter who do you think I am Peter says I'm not failing this one you're the Messiah you're the king not Augustus I got that one but he doesn't have it down yet does he because as soon as Jesus says I'm gonna go be killed in Jerusalem he says oh no no you can't do that And what was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. Peter was a man who saw people as trees walking, but his eyes hadn't been totally opened yet. Do You see the story? That's the Jewish way of building your story. You start with illustration, and you come back to it. So Peter confesses. So on one hand, you've got an angry synagogue of relatives. And on the other hand, you've got a man who confesses. Which one of them is blessed? Peter is blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Hmm. And then you go down the next step in. The next step in is an offended governor. Antipas, Herod Antipas rules, this is Galilee and this is Perea. And it goes all the way down and... Amon, Jordan's here, Jerusalem's on this side, and you see this little M right here? This is what that looks like today. That's the Macarius. Josephus says he took John to the Macarius. And when Jesus came along at the start of this chapter, he's doing miraculous things. Herod Antipas says, oh, no, I thought I killed John. He's come back to life. Well, that's where he put him. that, Well, let me show you what it might have looked like. That's so far out in the boonies that it's it's unbelievable. It's worse than Masada. There's nothing there. He built that to protect himself from his former father-in-law because he divorced his daughter, sent her back home, and he wasn't too happy about it because it shamed him. And eventually he came up through there and and defeated Herod Antipas' army. Nabataeans from the south. Now, when, when, when you see the history here, all of the people understand where, where John was. They understand that there was an offended governor and that he was powerful and he had John killed. But as you read the story, what happens when Jesus finds out John was killed? He goes out to a solitary place. He's grieving. And guess what happens? bunch of people come out to him well before I do that on the other side are the offended leaders in the first part of 16 the Sadducees it says don't don't follow their the Pharisees and Sadducees don't follow their, their their yeast watch out for the yeast their teaching is wrong he says don't follow that Jesus goes out in a solitary place he's grieving but he allows people into his pain They come to be healed. They have comes with needs. And there's 5,000 men that come. And they follow him around wanting something from Jesus. Everybody wants something from Jesus. And he gives it. Says he he had compassion is the response. He had compassion. And he taught them. Not just fed them. He taught them. He not just healed them. He taught them. Because they had their ears open because of what they saw. And so as they teach, Jesus says, well, I don't want to send them home. Where are we going to get enough food? The disciples say, oh, man, Jesus, there's, there's maybe 10,000 people out here, 5,000 men and kids and moms. and you know, My stars, this is a huge crowd. How are we going to feed them? Well, how many feet, how many, what, what do you got to start with? a couple of fish, some loaves. That'd that'd be enough. You think about that for a minute. I'd like to be able to run a cafe like that, right? You wouldn't have to pay for your food. You think about it. What does Jesus do? He takes 5,000, sets them down, and feeds them. And what do they get? Twelve baskets full. And the word they use for basket is... Is the word specifically that could be translated Jewish backpack because that's what Juvenal, the Roman satirist, calls it later on? In other words, this is a basket that is specific enough that it's got a racial identity. Okay, 12 of them. 12 of them. Is that an accident? What's he showing you? New Israel. What's he doing? He's feeding people in a solitary place like Moses did in the Exodus with manna. And God did it, and he bought it from heaven because Moses didn't feed anybody. God did. Right? That's what brings the blessing when you understand where it comes from. And when he says the blessing, he takes the loaves and he blesses God in this story. You think about that for a minute. That's how you say your prayer in Hebrew. Blessed art you, O God, king of the universe, who gains forth bread from the ground, is basically the prayer. You bless God, not the food. We bless the food. They bless God for giving the food. Okay? And then you have the other story on the other side. You go, wait a minute. There was 5,000. He did that once. Why do he do it a second time? Well, you have to ask yourself, and as you read the question, what's going on the second time? There's 4,000 this time. He didn't want you to miss. It was a different group. It's not the same 5,000 people. He'd gone over to the Decapolis, which is on the other side. That's the Gentile side. Gentile side? Well, is he actually doing something to heal and teach and, and, and bring compassion to Gentiles? maybe he's in the decapolis and when he heals all these people they've been following him around for three days they've been bringing all kinds of sick people and and what does he do he heals them because of his compassion and 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 they respond and praise the god of israel and i'm going why in the world would matthew say they praise god of israel instead of just saying they praise god because these guys aren't ordinary people who praise the god of israel They're Gentiles. How do I know? Because they don't have Jewish baskets. They have seven baskets, but they're the big old baskets like Paul came down the wall in. There's seven baskets. And there's seven. Why is that important? Because there were seven tribes that got run out of Canaan. And and, and Canaan plays a role in this. And God is reaching out to so Jesus is trying to help people understand the picture's bigger than just the Jewish picture. Yeah, he was sent to the house of Israel, but he's preparing his disciples to have a bigger vision of what's going on, I think. And so you have the next event. After the feeding of the 5,000, he tells the guys to get in the boat, and go across. They get into a storm. Jesus comes walking on the water at night. Peter says oh man if it's you Lord let me walk he walks on the water and we read that story and we think it's all about walking on the water no it's not about walking on the water it's about getting out of the boat that's what it's about do you have the faith to get out of the boat 11 of them didn't make it one guy got out of the boat He's the one that also confesses. He's the one that gets blessed later, right? You think about it. He gets out of the boat. Why is that so important? What keeps us from working with people and reaching out to people we don't know and reaching across boundaries and so forth? It's because we're so comfortable in our own boat. Isn't it? It's inconvenient to get out of the boat and take care of people that you don't know and might not even like after you've met them. Because I guarantee you these Gentiles were not liked by the Jews who got out of the boat later they had to work through that so you look at the story you see the balance that's going on they both got bread in the wilderness now the disciples have gotten out of the boat they begin to follow Jesus they have to go where he he leads them even though they're afraid that's the point of the story Even when you're afraid, you have to get out of the boat and follow Jesus, even if it looks like he's walking on water. Oh, he was walking on water. Oh, that doesn't hold you up, right? Do I follow God? Do I follow Jesus when it doesn't make sense? And I'm afraid. That's the point of that story. And so now as I look at it, I've got somebody on the other side, and I don't want you to miss this one. The Canaanite woman. And he calls her a Canaanite. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician. That's a little more acceptable. Canaanite. These are the bad guys. But you see, the people that were over in the Decapolis, the rabbis later taught, were the seven nations of the Canaanites, and that's why you had seven loaves and seven basketfuls and over in that turf, and now we have a story about a Canaanite woman. A Canaanite woman. Entire. So Jesus is not even in Israel anymore. He's entire. He has withdrawn. Why? Because Herod Antipas wants to have him in for questioning. He had John in for questioning. <laughs> he didn't make it out. So Jesus leaves Antipas's turf, and he goes to Sidon. Tyre and Sidon. and he meets this woman well she actually pesters him until he does something she was a persistent woman I love it what is he teaching Jesus is walking through she's trying to get his attention the disciples saying Jesus can you just get rid of this woman she's driving me nuts So you got 12 guys forming a ring around Jesus trying to protect him from this woman who has a need. Now put that picture in your head. Disciples haven't got the picture yet, right? They're supposed to be bringing people to Jesus, not running them away from Jesus. Isn't that true? And so as, as you look at this woman, she keeps pestering and keeps pestering, and Jesus says, hey, what do you want? She says, my daughter... Is, is sick. I need somebody to take care of my daughter. I'm, it's not even about me, it's about my daughter. I need you to take can you imagine that? We watched that, didn't we? Mama Bear over here knows what I'm talking about. Right? I want my daughter well. Yes, sir. And I'll even take on twelve obstinate obstacles to get it done right and so she does that Jesus looks at her and says don't you understand it's not it's not up to us to to give the things of god to dogs and i'm sitting here going jesus called her a dog why in the world did he do that that's pretty insulting he wanted to know if she was going to keep coming He wanted his disciples to know what they were really feeling in their heart. Why were they trying to drive her away? Because she's a dog. She doesn't count. Get out of here. We're looking for Jews today. Right? And she's persistent. And Jesus says to her, she says back, but even the dogs get crumbs off from underneath the table. Crumbs, bread, there we go. What's bread? Bread is life. It's the symbol of life in the Bible. She's wanting life from Jesus. And he says, you've had great faith. Your daughter's well. Man, what a story. What did that teach those disciples? The same story it taught them when they picked up seven big basketfuls in a Gentile audience of 4,000 people who were following Jesus. Jesus is beginning to open them up to something bigger. He's teaching them something bigger by putting them in a very uncomfortable place. Now, that's the story on both sides of the chiasm. But in the middle, Jesus' Torah, his teaching, offends the Pharisees. That's the center of the story. Jesus comes, and they come and say, why do your disciples not wash their hands the way they should, like the the fathers, the tradition of the fathers? Why is that important? The tradition of the fathers is extremely important to the Pharisees. It's important to the whole Jewish group of, of the first century. Because they'd gone through tremendous suffering and and persecution during the Maccabean time, in which people were killed just for being Jewish. If you circumcised your child, he would be killed. If you had Torah scroll on you, you'd be killed. If you went to Sabbath at the synagogue, you'd be killed. I mean, there was a a revolt, and and people died. Well, that was the great-great-grandfathers. It would be like us saying... You know, my grandfather was killed in World War I, but pff, no big deal. It's not important. Tradition of the fathers was important to them. It was a patriotic thing, if nothing else. And, and, and so they come and they say, you're, you're not honoring our tradition. You're, you're not patriotic. You're not, you're not doing what you need to be doing. Jesus says, well, guys, you don't get it. He says, but you say if anyone declares what uh, might have been used to help your father and mother, and he's talking about some of their rules, but then he goes on to say, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus confronts them. He didn't sit down and say, oh, well, you know, you got your idea and I got my idea and there's some truth somewhere in the middle between us. He speaks tough love. He's still loving, but he wants them to move. He wants them to understand God. He wants their hearts to open for the people around them. He doesn't leave them where they are. He doesn't join them where they are. He says, you have to change. Why? Well, here's what they were doing. It's hard to understand purity rules in the, in the New Testament. A lot of times you'll read through and it says so-and-so was unclean and so-and-so is clean and, and we get the idea that that's a moral evaluation. It's not a moral evaluation at all. Clean and unclean simply means two things are in place. There's a division between what's holy And what's common? What's holy is something that's always dedicated to God regardless. The temple is holy. The high priest is holy. The sacrifice, once you get it and you dedicate it to be sacrificed to God, that's holy. It it can no longer be used for common things. That's why they kill it. It's holy. It It can't be put back in the pen with the common sheep. Okay? And then there are things that are common. Well, our everyday stuff is common stuff my car is common my you know my food is common it's not holy it's not pure i don't have to keep it pure it's not holy it's not dedicated to god holy means it's dedicated to god's use only common means we can all use it that's what it is this is what condition it's in clean means it's ready to be used so if i have wheat in my barn and the mouse gets in and have mouse droppings in my wheat, it's unclean until I clean it so I can use it. Okay, you see the difference? Is It's in a state. Can it be used? Why is that important? Well, here's what the Pharisees were doing. They were putting themselves in this category. They may be clean or unclean, but we as a people, we're a holy nation. God said we're a holy nation, so we're in the holy category. Everybody else is down here in the common category. All those Gentiles are common. God doesn't care about them. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus says, that's not right. Why? He says, you missed the point. The point is heart, and it goes right there. Is your heart clean? before God or not people are not unclean they're holy or not common they're holy but they might be unclean or they might be clean and Jesus is coming to restore a nation of holy people in the state of cleanness so they can be in the presence of God that's why he gives his sacrifice that's why he's he's encountering the Pharisees that's why he's saying you don't have it right you have to understand it's about heart it's not about washing my hands in a particular way it's not about the rules that I make up to you see it that's what's going on Jesus has come Why is that so important? It's important because the most critical thing that we have to do is be able to hold our love of God and our love for our our fellow man, our love for our neighbor, tightly together. Tightly together. It's very difficult to do. It's easy to use religious rules to not love people that are different than us. It's also easy to give up our love for God in order to keep people happy. Do you see that? Jesus is pulling those two things together and holding them together very tightly. He sees the Pharisees. He loves the Pharisees. He's trying to get the Pharisees to open their eyes and open their ears and open their hearts and become his follower, just like other people. And they're refusing to do that. And you'll notice Jesus doesn't change the rule for the Pharisees. He speaks tough love to them because they need to change. Jesus comes into our world like that. So the question to us is, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus in your life? Has he made your heart clean? Has he drawn you into his presence? Is he changing you? Are you a disciple following him? Or not? Because that's what becomes most important in the last part of this book. As he turns his face towards Jerusalem. And he goes and he knows he's going to suffer. And he knows he's going to die. What he's doing is creating a group of followers who will follow him anywhere he goes regardless of their ethnic background and their history. He's going to clean them. So once you understand what holy means and what cleans means, now you understand the cross. Jesus takes his holy, unclean people and makes them holy, clean people, fit for his presence. That's what's going on. How does he do it? Same seed, same sower. Yeah. But here's how he does it. This comes from actually from Isaiah. Isaiah says in chapter 42, here's my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Until he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. How does Jesus come? As a servant. As a servant. But he comes expecting you to follow him. As servants. He comes as a man who loves, even to the point of having to tell you, you need to change.